0: Welcome, everyone, to Church Potluck, where we're serving up a smorgasbord of Christian conversation. We've got a variety of academic disciplines, a variety of Christian traditions, and a variety of topics. I'm your host, Dale McConkie, and this is our third episode. And they said it wouldn't last. and this is our Christmas episode, and actually we have a two-part Christmas episode. This one, we're going to be focusing on Christmas and the Bible and the church, and then uh, shortly thereafter, we're going to have another podcast for you that focuses on Christmas and just uh, American culture in, in general. But today, we're talking about the Bible and the church and how uh, the, the Christmas story that gets out from that, and let's see who we have sitting around the table. Uh, where do we get started? Uh, uh, Jonathan, go ahead. Okay. I'm the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Parker. I am a
1: uh, – should I go ahead and tell them my aff- affiliations? Absolutely. So Absolutely. So I teach I teach Bible here at Barrie. I like to say I teach Bible and theology here at Barrie College. I'm associate professor of religion in that. And then I'm also a, a priest of good standing in the Anglican Church of North America. So, what does a priest in good standing mean? Oh, it means my bishop still likes me. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. I, I've been, a, uh, yeah, I've been a priest in the Anglican Church for a number of years now. So um, that's just part of my. I'm actually planting a small church here in Rome um, on the side. So Perfect. trying to follow in in your footsteps, to
0: professor and pastor at the same time. I, I did. I did not plant a church though. That's a whole, that's a whole different story. So all right, and we have Jordan.
2: Hi. Uh, Dr. Jordan Rowan Fannin. I am Assistant Professor of Christian Theology here at Berry College. I come from the Baptist Church, uh, so uh, free church tradition. Uh, I come from a a mutt line of of traditions as well, so I am descended from people in the Friends Church, which is very similar to the Quaker. Oh, wow. From um, uh, my grandparents' side, from my mom's side, I also have uh, Church of Christ in the mix. But I have always been Baptist. I go to a Baptist church here. I serve, teach Sunday school, sing in the choir. I'm a deacon in the Baptist tradition there.
3: Fantastic. And last and certainly not least, we have Michael. Hi. Yeah. Um, I'm Michael Papazian, uh, professor of philosophy here, and uh, – um, my tradition is um, – we're actually called the Armenian Apostolic Church but sometimes Armenian Orthodox uh, and I was baptized as an infant and uh, have been a member and uh, uh, we'll talk more about that as we go on. But yes. uh, it's been my church affiliation throughout my, uh,
0: my life. I tell you what, I bet most of our listeners have at least a little idea of what Anglican is and a little idea of what Mutt Baptist is, <laughs> and but
3: probably not so much our Armenian Orthodox. So yeah.
0: why don't you give a, a quick thumbnail overview yeah, well, of that?
3: Well, let me just start by saying that when I first came down here, people said, are, are you Armenian? Yes. <laughs> with, an, with an I. Oh, and by <laughs> the way, it, I'm Wesleyan, so yes, I yeah, am. <laughs> so, uh, so Dale is Armenian, but uh, we are Armenian uh, with an E, and that's a country uh, that uh, today is bordered. By Iran, Turkey, uh, the other Georgia, the Republic of Georgia, uh, and Azerbaijan, uh, so it's a landlocked country, but it's an ancient country, and is actually, as we like to say, the the first Christian nation in the world, uh, because it was the official uh, church. Uh, the church was recognized officially uh, in 301 AD, uh, so that goes back a long uh, time, even before Rome.
2: Constantine, yes,
3: right, Constantine. That was a few years later, so we we beat Rome,
2: uh, in, <laughs> the in, other in, in Rome.
3: Uh, so it's a tradition that's ancient. Uh, the uh, the church it's often called Orthodox, but we have to be a little bit careful here because we're not um, aligned with the Eastern Orthodox, not with the Greeks or the Russians. We belong to what nowadays people call the Oriental Orthodox Church. And these are churches that actually broke off from uh, from the other Orthodox churches very early on, uh, 5th and 6th century. Uh, So although we're very similar in terms of our liturgical traditions and our theology with the other Eastern churches, we actually are kind of a little bit different. All right. And – for those of you who were intrigued by that, we we're planning on digging, uh,
0: going deep into the weeds on that uh, at the end of the podcast. So, but for uh, to get us started here, let's just uh, share a personal experience from from our from our uh, uh, past, or a, a good experience, a good memory that we have, either in childhood or even now today. That uh, from from your Christmas experiences, uh, what's a, what's a memory that the church helped form uh, for Christmas for you? Anybody?
2: <laughs> we can go in the same order.
1: And we can go through more. Well, it's kind of interesting because I was actually. You were talking about your your family background, and I was actually raised in a charismatic independent church, sort of Pentecostal style um, word of faith background. So that's actually my upbringing. Wow. Yeah. So it, it, it's funny because, you know, feast days aren't officially <laughs> things, <laughs> but you don't get away from Easter and Christmas very easily. And so there was a lot of excitement around Christmas, um, and there would always be special services, even. Two or three services on Christmas Eve, um, the church I grew up in grew to be um, – if my dad was associate pastor, grew to be about 4,000 members, which isn't very much in North Texas, North Dallas because you got – 20,000-member churches across town. So, you know. I still
0: think that sounds pretty large. Though. A 4,000-member church. My, my, my but, church has 35 on a good Sunday. Yeah, I know, so. I know. But that's that's the weirdness that is Dallas, Texas. It's just a... That's 35, not
1: 3,500. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I think, you know, spiritually, it was always... It felt special. It felt like a special time. But it always felt a little anticlimactic in some ways because you'd have, like, special kids singing. But I always felt like there was more there than really I got to. So... For me now, um, when I came into the Anglican Church, um, there is nothing better than dimming the lights and the, everyone holding real fire candles in your hands <laughs> across you know actual candlelit congregation where every family holds a candle and across the congregation and just feel this you feel the warmth and the glow of a of a Christmas Eve service. I mean that. Just the moment of singing hymns with candles all around you, um, Holy Night. Um, well, wow. Holy Night is probably my favorite song, and that's just um, my heart is sailing. You know, only Easter can beat that. So that's awesome, awesome. Thank you, Jordan.
2: Of a Christmas episode, or Christmas memory. I think the most positive thing that the church has brought me was not my own church tradition. was meeting others from other faith traditions. And what happened in college was I also was from North Texas, and we don't know how to drive on ice. So <laughs> black ice, wrecked car. Everyone else wrecked their car that Christmas break, so I didn't have it when I went back to— campus for January for the spring term. So I went to church with my neighbor who went to a Methodist church and I discovered the liturgical year. And so I was introduced to Advent, which we didn't have in my Baptist church. Um, I, I was especially introduced to lessons and carols, and so for me, uh, understanding that Christmas isn't just one day; that it's not just happened upon, you know, at the end of December. It's not just something you decorate for after Thanksgiving, but it is a season that you prepare for, and what that looks like, um, and that this is shaped by and narrated by scripture and and hymn singing and worship, and all of these things prepare you to receive and arrive at the Feast of Nativity and receive the Christ child. Uh, So it was actually out of my tradition that I now... Bring into. So, not only did I come that way by way of Methodist, I'm also a mutt in terms of my education, and I was educated by both Baptists and Catholics. Uh, so, I do celebrate. Like, my children put out shoes last night for the Feast of St. Nicholas, oh. which is the day we're recording today. So, um, I've learned from the richer, wider tradition than I simply had as as a kid in an evangelical church. Uh, so, I think my most positive once in a Royal David City is what kicks off mm. you know, uh, the season for me. And if that hasn't happened, it's really tough for me to feel like it's Advent. So, so the celebration, the anticipation, the preparation that comes with a season, a liturgical year, a recognition that there's preparation uh, happened once. Like I can tell you when that happened but is for me every year now.
3: That's awesome. Thank you. Well, uh, we'll probably get into this more later, but my church celebrates Christmas on January 6th. I need a uh, gas button. Yeah, there's a whole story behind that. That's Epiphany. That we can get it. It's also Epiphany. We celebrate Christmas and Epiphany at the same time, same day. Very efficient. In fact, the tradition is that Christ was baptized on the very same day he was born, not the same year. But of course. That's also yeah. the Feast of right.
2: Circumcision, so you would be born, yes, circumcised, right. and baptized. Yep. It's all, Same day? All in one. Wait, the Feast of a...
1: Circumcision is a little earlier because, yeah, but anyway, yeah. okay. Oh, 12
2: uh, days after. Yeah, uh, yes. eight days right. of circumcision. There you yes. go. All, all, Thanks for all, the English.
1: All of, our, our,
0: all of our low church Baptists are saying, what in the world yeah, are y'all talking, talking about? about? Yeah. <laughs> but we're getting that. Oh,
2: When I tell Baptists about the Feast of the Circumcision, they're surprised. Yeah, that's
3: kind of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, so for those of us in the tradition, it's like, oh, we take this for granted. Sure. This is like, yeah. you know, what, what's so weird about that? <laughs> uh, but, but, but from the outside, you can see that it's weird. But, yeah, we we actually uh, – so it's January 6th. But, of course, for us, the Christmas Eve is January 5th. And I think that that service is one of the most beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, that eve, uh, you know, the vigil uh, on the January 5th is a long – I mean, it doesn't seem like, you know, for a kid – You know, this probably seems like really very boring but I I just have really great memories of the biblical readings that are done. That, uh, that go on for like, I see, seem like hours. Uh, but they're And chances, this is why you became an academic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. So I can bore other people. But, uh, but, you know, it's the, these uh, Old Testament readings, all of them being foreshadowings of the coming of Christ. Um, and the, the deacons will read, will chant, and uh, the candles, like John was talking about, I mean, real candles mm-hmm. and all. It's just a very moving. Uh, uh, ceremony, right? So, so the actual uh, mass or liturgy on the January 6th is sometimes, uh, you know, it's like uh, anticlimactic okay. after the January 5th yeah. uh, Christmas yeah. Eve service. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: great.
2: Well, you can you. always tell a Baptist service that has candle, real candles because you can find the uh, wax marks yes, on absolutely. the velvet <laughs> pulpit cushions or pew cushions. Yes, I've,
0: I've, I've seen that in my own <laughs> tradition. So I don't think I mentioned that uh, – I'm a sociology professor, but I'm also a United Methodist pastor at a small church. But I also – uh, uh, several years ago, served uh, as the chaplain at Berry College. And so my my memory stems from that. And it's a very uh, powerful, poignant memory for me at this exact moment. Uh, uh, mm. When I was chaplain, we had lessons in carols, mm-hmm. and we still do. It's been We've been doing it for close to 30 years now, I think. And it's the same song, Oh Holy Night. Mm. Every year when they sang Oh Holy Night, and especially the fall on your knees, there was something mm-hmm. about that moment, mm-hmm. that that it felt like Christmas season or Advent season had begun, and it just there was something so special. And still today, mm-hmm. uh, that tends to be very special.
1: Mm.
0: Well, um, tomorrow marks the ten-year uh, anniversary of my wife's death or passing mm. from from uh, very aggressive uh, breast cancer, and uh, I didn't go to "Lessons and Carols" that year, mm. Mm. Uh, and it was turned out that. That was only about three or four days before her death. Mm. But that night, after Lessons and Carols, uh, the choir director at the time, Harry Musselwhite, brought over the Berry Singers, which is somewhere about 15 uh, uh, students. And they came, and uh, Ingrid's parents were there. One of her brothers was there. My children were there. I was there. And just gave us – a, a private singing of these very sacred carols, yeah. and it was such a powerful moment, and just so special. And it, that is that is for me the epitome of all the love and care that we got. But that moment just was was uh, just a very sacred moment. And so I, I, I uh, uh, that that it's hard to beat that one for yeah. for me wow. for sure. Yeah, so that's so, amazing. Yeah. Wow. Well, those are all nice memories, but I also know that you have got a lot of uh, biblical knowledge. And the way that the, the Bible talks about Christmas and the way that we celebrate Christmas don't always mesh up. And mm-hmm. so let me just throw that out there. What does the church get right? What does the church get wrong? Does it matter that we get it wrong? Just uh, tell me what, you th- what you're thinking in terms of uh, the biblical account and the, and the way we, we practice Christmas.
1: Well, they're looking at the Bible guys, so I guess it better (laughs) Um, – I mean I think the first thing to say is that uh, as Martin Hengel, the great New Testament scholar, says, the the New Testament actually doesn't care that much about the nativity. It actually is only mentioned in Matthew and Luke in any detail Um, and even really it's Luke um, when you get down to it. Uh, Matthew barely mentions anything. So – the what's concerned the concern in the New testament um is about Jesus being of the Son of David um he of the lineage of David that he would inherit the throne and the authority of Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, so the Christ the Messiah mean the same thing from um greek and and Hebrew roots, and that actually becomes the 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 focal point He is born of a woman, so he is he is um in the incarnation, the sense of him being God and man that's Um, That's clear, Um, although, of course, scholars argue about this, but uh, um, I think Philippians 2 is pretty clear about it. Um, And so those things are – those are already in Paul, Um, and then when Mark gets into it, which we think is probably the earliest gospel – Mark really sees the beginning of the gospel as the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he doesn't. He just passes right over nativity. There's nothing much there. You do get some about his family. You get about um, him being the son of Mary, um, and its emphasis on Mary. Joseph is not mentioned in Mark. Um, you get his his, his family, um, and uh, there's some we can get into some of the why Mary questions. Um, and so then, and then it's it's Luke and Matthew. Uh, Matthew talks about lineage of David, born, and he starts talking about born of Bethlehem. He emphasizes um, Jesus being born of a virgin, a sexual virgin, which is not necessarily included in the prophecy in Isaiah 714, which I could get into if we want to. Uh, but he then he moves on quickly to talking about the Magi, who are probably from two years later, hence the Feast of Epiphany on January right. 6th. Um, but it's Luke who spends a lot of time talking about the birth narrative and details about Mary and Elizabeth and, and those types of things. So some of that gets conflated. The the, the Matthew and – the tr- traditional thing that happens is Matthew and, and Luke's accounts get conflated. Uh, this probably happened first under uh, Francis of Assisi it seems that the, that, um, that the Magi are kind of kneeling at the manger, <laughs> which almost certainly didn't happen. <laughs> or that we get three kings instead of three gifts. Those are some classic things that, that we get goofed up. Um uh, but with, there's other there's other details, but maybe that gets us
3: rolling, and I'll i I just back. add that uh, yeah. for the uh, in the East the uh, the Magi are not even really part of the Epiphany. The Epiphany is focused entirely on the baptism of Christ. Mm-hmm. I think it's more in Western Christianity that uh, interesting the feast of Three Kings or you know, the feast of the- we
2: celebrate both.
3: Yeah does that does that does that shift the theology in any way? It's interesting. I'd never really thought about that, but uh, yeah, that there there probably is a a difference. Just much more of an emphasis on 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 Christ and and the baptism as a, as an important event.
1: Uh, I would say that both of those emphasize the again the the rulership of Jesus because for the voice from heaven says, "This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased." That is a statement about Son of God, mm-hmm. which for for a lot of folks brings up. Jordan's, you know, cup of tea, which is the theology, the Christology, divine and, and um, human natures of, of, of Jesus, but in a biblical frame, Son of God immediately brings up the Second Samuel seven promise that the Son of God is uh, is is a, the, the Davidic Messiah um, that he's in the line of of David, and so the statement from heaven is Son of God, and then this, and then with the Magi are coming and bowing before him because they've recognized he is the He's the king so there's uh, both of those are kingship metaphors I think
2: yeah and okay. partly the the reason for epiphany is the the recognition or the realization of who he is that is shown in these two different ways and and so when the, both of those are celebrated on the same feast day um, that's it's interesting to think about how those are both forms of epiphany how those are both forms of recognition and and statements about who Christ is
0: great just just a real quick uh, I don't know if it's a practical question but if they focus on Jesus being baptized as an infant, then how does your tradition understand Jesus being baptized in the Jordan?
3: Oh, you're saying, oh, um, oh he's not he's not baptized time. as an infant. Okay, so yeah. I should have oh. clarified that. Oh. There, <laughs> the baptism, when I said that uh, he's baptized on the same day, I mean different years, like 30 years later. Oh, okay. But it's the exact same day, okay. January 6th. Okay. Right. That's the way they read scripture anyway. I mean, I actually looked uh, – I mean, I've read Armenian theologians who say, look, Bible, the gospel is clear. He was baptized on the same day, I mean, 30 years later. But I actually looked at the Greek and it's not clear to me that that's what it mm. – but, but apparently, you know – People smarter than me think that that's the way Scripture should be read. That uh, it was when he turned exactly when he thir- turned thirty. I think right okay. that he was baptized, and they read that as that was on his birthday, <laughs> and so therefore we should celebrate his baptism on his birthday, right? But he was not in. He was not an infant baptism. Gotcha. It's interesting where we find
0: that the literal readings, you know, yeah. uh, like that. Yeah. So so. Uh, Jordan, Jonathan, kind of set it up for you to talk about the 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 divine human uh, connection, or just anything else that that you find interesting and intriguing about the the, the nativity story.
2: About uh, one of my most interesting moments is actually earlier in Luke and the visitation to Elizabeth, where Mary goes, and so we talk. Uh, we've been reading Thomas Merton this semester, and and something about um, the darkness or the preparation in Advent for the dawning of the light. For me, that starts working. Well, the the Magnificat and the, the the Annunciation to to Mary, of course, but then Mary goes immediately and withdraws from the world, according to Merton, and goes to Elizabeth's house. And the first person to really recognize the Savior yes. is John in utero. And so there's something about being in the darkness of a womb in the in the um, Merton calls it a, a oh shoot. <laughs> they they built the, the anchorite. It's an anchor hold, right, essentially mm. for um, for this baby. And so the babe, the the one in the darkness in the womb, becomes the teacher to the rest of us. The like a silent wise.
1: cleft, as it were. So we're the, the
2: world-wise people who can see, who can hear, did not recognize. And, and the one who was in darkness um, – was recognizing and and I'm thinking a lot about this because um, there's a, a woman named Cole Arthur Riley and she has a recent book called This Here Flesh. But she also is on social media under um, Black Liturgies and this here uh, uh, at Black Liturgies and she talks about looking at how we talk about darkness and light during Advent and how that can um, it reinscribe some racial uh, uh, expectations and prejudices that we have of the goodness of light and the the Lack of goodness of darkness, and so she's been reorienting my thinking about the goodness of darkness, um, the goodness of that place of being um, in the in the unknown, in the the ready, in the preparation to receive the very good news of the God Man that first came to us. You know, through this young woman of no standing and and then the the first recognition, the first evangelical moment, as I call it, is is John when he gets it, he gets it, you know? so that's just one of the things that I like to has uh, ask my students to think about and And that happens even before the nativity,
1: yeah, it's interesting how many different ways that. Jesus is revealed, uh, mm-hmm. actually the, you know, when we talk about the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who see together synoptic, um, it's they. It's almost like they've um, corresponded or, or calibrated the various kinds of revelation that one can have, mm-hmm. because you get everything from um, in an innate sense uh, within John the Baptist, which, by the way, uh, Martin Luther says is the greatest support for infant baptism because, <laughs> so, so the argument is like, infants can't have faith, and he says, well, John well, the, the Baptist <laughs> right. jumped in the womb, so who says what infants can and can't have. But um, you get this innate sense of Jesus' presence. You have an angel just right in your face, hi, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're you're chosen. Um, but then you have the magi who have to study the stars and likely studied this, the constellations from the east to know when the king star likely was moving around a house of, of, of Judah. So they would have been just noticing very uh, – Careful changes in the stars, um, so there's all sorts of different ways that you can actually come to Jesus um, and, and see Him as the as the Lord. It's not um, a privy to one type of person, but right. there's actually the, all these different ways in which revelation comes that are all have yeah. their instances within the within yeah. the gospel stories.
3: And I think that from the Armenian tradition, I think that's one argument for having one date because the idea is that it, we actually call it the Theophany, mm-hmm. January sixth. It's the Literally the revelation of God. It's so the, the idea is that that is the feast day of all of Jesus's revealings to us, not only his nativity, but also his baptism, also the coming of the Magi and all. Yeah. So everything is sort of rolled up into one day. Yeah.
0: Great. I want to give a shout out to one of our friends and colleagues, Matthew Lee, for for this question. Actually, I'm combining a couple of his questions. But there's some there's some aspects of the biblical accounts that that scholars debate over. So, just to, in your own minds, how important is it? And uh, to our understanding about the the actual virgin birth of of Jesus and uh, Jonathan you already mentioned that it was only it 's only mentioned in two gospels, and so mm-hmm. presumably many Christians early on would not have had access to all four gospels and may not have even have heard about the virgin birth right. early well, that's on correct. so yeah. um, this, so what how, what, how central does that need to be in our understanding of the Christmas story? And also, there's no good evidence of any kind of a, a census being taken at that time. And you would think that there'd be some kind of historical evidence left behind from something that massive. So just uh, any, any thoughts on the, the importance of either of those?
2: I would say one – and Jonathan, jump in here. I would say one of the things that I, I like to ask people to think about is why this is important. And so I do think it is both – Um, Very important in in pushing us to ask what kind of theology of sin do we have, because that's really crucial in understanding why a virgin um, birth, um, why an immaculate conception, which is, by the way, not about Jesus. That's about Mary. So, like, understanding the tradition of why, how sin works and why that would be important. But also... I think this is possibly one of the things that I think the church gets wrong is in my reading of Luke, that's not a primary concern of the text. So I have my students read this and, and they we look at Luke. And so Luke 1, uh, 26, and uh, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, greetings favored when the Lord is with you. And she says, but she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. And I ask my students, why is she perplexed? And they say, because she's a virgin. And I say, but that hasn't come up yet.
0: <laughs> she's
2: perplexed, but he hasn't said anything about that. or a baby. She's perplexed because he calls her blessed. Mm -hmm. And so the church has, I think, missed that, Mm -hmm. that that is her perplexed moment that he has been, that she's been chosen, that she is favored by God. Later in verse 34, she says, wait a minute, how can this be since I'm a virgin? That's not the statement of her concern. She's not humbled and she's not focused on her sexual status, her, her activity, right? The the focus is on her blessedness, and we've made it about her virginity. Hmm. So in some sense, I think it's too important for the church. And then in some senses, I think it's not important enough because we haven't asked about what our theology of sin is and that has to do as much with the tradition as anything else.
1: The passing on. So just to ex- yes. make that clear. Clarify, yes. You're saying that a virgin birth may be important on the sin part because if sin is passed down through Seminal human, transmission. Seminal yes. transmission, right. as Augustine would say, or, or human uh, production in a particular way, then Jesus' virgin birth might provide the capacity for him to be sinless. Right.
2: And um, so that's that's as much as I think forming the tradition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the background, but not explicitly stated.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would have some, I
3: okay. have some theological questions about okay. sin
1: being passed yeah. down. And that's and something I right right. right. sure That's the right yeah. way. Of
3: and as right. you mentioned, that's Augustinian, so it doesn't really affect the Eastern theology right. Right. as much. Right. So it is yeah. more of a Western idea. I don't think it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the East has sort of focused as much on 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 sin there. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And, and yeah, we could get into Maximus on that. But
1: yeah. and and it's interesting, actually, uh, bringing in something semi-controversial but interesting from New Testament scholarship. Um, Andrew Lincoln has recently argued in a book that. The virgin birth is actually kind of a problem for redemption if because – this is interesting. He says if on our account, um, in order to be fully human, we need to have chromosomal DNA from two separate parents, then if Jesus is a virgin – born of a virgin – chromosomally wouldn't that make him basically a clone of Mary and therefore different from us to a degree that makes him not really fully human, which is exactly the opposite of what we claim theologically about the nature of the humanness of, of, of Jesus. So he would actually argue that the the virgin birth is a trope a historically – um, uh, constructed trope. Um, We were talking about I was in good standing with my bishop earlier. I (laughs) might be in trouble on this one. But but it's an interesting question about like how you understand. He says, I think the main theological point is that Virgin births were not actually that unusual in ancient mythologies. I mean Romulus and Remus had a virgin birth. There's a a, a god, Addis that's a a virgin birth. That actually wouldn't have struck them. Even incarnation, as it were, like gods taking human forms didn't strike them as so odd. What might have been more – Striking is actually the 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 well the death on the cross and that the 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 the, the taking on a, a slave death and then you honoring a slave death as though he were um, a king. Um, Tom Holland in his book Dominion has made a good point about this, and you see that in Mary's response. If if you're following my train of thought, because she talks about mm-hmm. um, so be unto me, unto um, uh, your servant, which in Greek is your slave, mm-hmm. and then she she sings about it in the Magnificat. Um, that the lord has been would be gracious unto um uh, unto her as a slave um uh, he has looked on the humble estate of his slave and regarded the state of the slave and brought her up from that state that there's this uplift of the lowly in the in the in the story that i think would have been much more striking for ancient readers um that virgin birth uh, that just that's a normal sort of authentication of an ancient uh, god man type figure that's like okay yeah virgin birth Whatever, um, but actually, the, it's the it's the social reversals that might have been even more, would have been more shocking yeah. in yeah. this type of story, perhaps.
0: And yeah. that's kind of the sort sort of the the Gnostics and the Docetists more had more of a problem with Jesus's humanity than with his divinity, am I, if I'm understanding that correctly, right? And then today we really grapple with Jesus being divine rather than mm. human. That, that's been a yeah. been, been a shift. Yeah. But this yeah. is also
2: yeah. part of why Nestorius is upset about Theotokos is because he thinks. The, the, You'll never hear that
0: right, anywhere right, else. Yeah. Right, this is
2: it. Yeah. <laughs> this is a you name, a title for like, Mary, like, Mother yeah. of God. Mother of God, yeah. and and the 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 figure, the Archbishop who has a problem with this is partly because this story bears so much resemblance to mythology mm-hmm. of God's taking on human form yeah. of changeful, yeah. capricious behavior, and so he wants to distance himself. And in the middle, or in the process of that, gets him into heresy, yeah. but. That's a longer
3: podcast, but, that, but that's a good point because uh, I mean, for my tradition, so I come from a staunchly anti-Nestorian tradition. I mean, the Armenian Church is like violently opposed to Nestorianism. So a lot of give our, us give us the okay, thumbnail version so, of that. So the idea is that uh, yeah, so as as Jordan was saying, you know, uh, uh, what Nestorius was upset about was uh, characterizing Jesus uh, uh, Mary as uh, the bearer of God the Theotokos, uh, um, and so uh, that the idea is that. Uh, uh, she did not give birth to God. She gave birth to the human <laughs> Christ, right? Uh, whereas we in the Armenian tradition, we believe that there is this very, I mean, we can get into the issues later about uh, uh, Chalcedon, but uh, um, there is this very, very strong hypostatic union where mm-hmm. anything true of the divinity is true of the humanity. So if you are the mother of the human Christ, you must be the mother of God too.
2: Right. And so Christotokos he was fine yeah. with, but not right. mother of God. Right. And part of it is because he didn't want yeah. things being attributed to gods that right. were too human. And this this trope, this yeah. resemblance of this story to other ancient myths is part of right. what's informing his probably well-intentioned, but really wrongly yeah. headed um, objections. The,
1: right, no, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but so for us around the table, we we all want to affirm it's it, that which uh, is not assumed is not redeemed. Mm-hmm. That that which is our human. It's it's our it's our gritty humanness, mm-hmm. as as you like to say. Um, Jesus came from Mary's placenta, or something, <laughs> something like that, right, Jordan? Yeah. yeah
2: that, that I usually get in trouble for talking about placentas. I don't know,
1: <laughs> that but I mean, that but is that, one that's thing. the grittiness of the of and that. We would say st- that's exactly yeah. the point.
3: It's, it's the, human. It's it's that human. It's, by it's, a lot it's us. It's yeah. matter. It's yeah. dirty. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah it doesn't stop that.
2: with the womb. There's all right. these uh, controversies later about um, images of Mary nursing. That if he were yeah. truly human, he would have not yeah. just been human at birth, right. but nurtured and, and raised as a human who grows and needs nourishment and anyway.
3: All right. So my tradition loves this. I mean we right. want to we want the grittiness. So we we are that's what I meant by anti Nestorian. That's a, <laughs> a better way of putting it is so anti Nestorian. We, we are pro-gritty. We are pro-gritty. All right. Pro- pro-gritty. Yeah. All right. Yeah. right. Yeah, so.
2: <laughs> anti hypostatic union.
3: Right. Well, yeah. well let's 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 uh take a, a
0: break from this very heady stuff that we've been talking about and make it a little bit lighter. And you are going to instruct me as scholars about what I should be doing in my church, right? So what, what, is, oh, your, what is your advice for, to put all of this kind of stuff into practice? So we're going to do a little game, a little rapid fire. Okay. And I stole this from Stephen Colbert, <laughs> but this is going to be Yahweh or no way. All right. And so uh-huh. so I'm going to bring up a topic and just very briefly you got to you got to me Yahweh or no way. And then with a, I don't cool, like to pronounce the divine name, but oh, that's wow. okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, it, uh, well, we could we could do something I'll, else. I'll say yeah. can, that's okay. All Go right. ahead. <laughs> Drop a the table. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah.
0: imagine if you don't like it, especially in a game like this. I know, Probably probably not very so. so answer however however <laughs> you'd like uh, feel comfortable with but um so let's start off with Uh, putting the nativity scene up with the wise men, Yahweh or no way. No way.
2: I'm following a a Facebook group right now that is traveling all of them in the, the little play mobile characters. It's a play mobile nativity and is moving them every day and thinking about their journey. And so I think yes, as part of the nativity scene, but also then engage with them and think about that process. So so yes,
0: across the
1: room. Yes,
2: no.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Um,
2: yep. yeah, so yes, very much part of your interaction with the nativity scene, but not proximate yet.
3: Gotcha. Thank yes, you. Yes, because I think it's part of uh, – it's a tradition. It's all together, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just puts it – yeah. Yeah.
0: Throw all the layers on one. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's a sandwich. So, so, so I, I do Yahweh, but I make sure sometime during Advent I, I – Say that this is not the way it really was, and, and give a little. So I use the I use the mistake up on the altar as a way of explaining the, the the story.
1: Yeah, and so I would I would take the twelve days of Christmas to do that because we don't just have one day of Christmas; we have twelve between. This is
2: what I discovered when I learned about right. the liturgical exactly. year. Right.
1: My kids are like, we get to have ice cream every day. Yes, <laughs> twelve days time. of Christmas from Christmas Day Epiphany. All right, sorry, we're not
0: doing rap. All right, prayer. go ahead. Uh, Santa at your church party? Yahweh or Noe? no way? <laughs> no.
2: No, we didn't even do Santa with our own kids.
0: <laughs> no, unless it's Saint Nicholas,
2: <laughs> which is no. the feast day,
0: and that's uh, and, and that's Saint uh, Nicholas. Yeah, Saint Nicholas. So I, I did not want to disrupt things at the church, and so we we do we do some Santa. So it's Yahweh for me, but again, I use that as instruction, and I, I try to in, in, incorporate Saint Nicholas as the the, the the understanding. But
2: can I rant for a second? You though? may rant. This is exactly is Saint Nicholas of Myra, as we know the story. Is actually the very reverse of Santa Claus. So what all I, – I understand magic of Christmas sparkle in the kid's eye, but most of the time that sparkle is greed. They want presents. And the only reason you let a fat guy in your house that <laughs> you don't know is because he brings presents, right? Yeah. So that's the allure of Santa, and I understand that that's magical. But St. Nicholas, Submira, at least as, as far as we know, is all about radical generosity mm-hmm. and and. Um, un, unlabeled, right? The the anonymous. So the story goes that he has a neighbor with three wi- uh, young daughters who are coming of age and don't have dowries. And so if you don't have a dowry, you're probably going to end up in labor and possibly prostitution. So t- in order to save his neighbor that he knows and he knows their financial circumstances and he knows who they are, he anonymously delivers um, money in through the window or through the the, the chimney. And when you were... Ringing out your unmentionables. They were on the fireplace drying, and so it comes in or lands in the shoe through the window. There's a couple versions of this. And he does this for the second daughter and the third daughter. They're getting wise to it, and so they realize and they catch him. But it's all about proximity to neighbor, knowledge of neighbor, love of neighbor, you know, yeah, radical generosity war. without... Yes, absolutely. Gift to the poor um, without recognition or the need for the generous, you know, the, the grateful poor. And so there's beautiful traditions in that. So I love St. Nicholas of Mira. I think Santa's an opposite of that, right?
0: All right. So we're going to talk about this in our next episode, more of the, the cultural aspects. But yeah. just very quick, if you want to share. Um, so how do you deal with culture of Santa – when you have young children mm-hmm. and you're not teaching them that, and yet all the other kids around, so how 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 have you you all dealt with that? We
2: introduced Saint Nicholas early. We do the shoes in the celebration so early, six, you know, Jan, uh, December sixth. You get you get presents, so that's part of it. But they know so early. One year, my daughter had a, a, a bronchial thing, and so we go into this medical supply company, and Santa's on the wall, and she goes, oh, Santa. I mean, we'd never once discussed it. She knows who this guy is, right? And so there's the sense in which I tried to talk about how every family has their own traditions. And that's great. And we're never taking that away from a family. But Santa's actually a less fun version of, look, St. Nicholas. And so I would tell her the beautiful story, and I would encourage them. And so we could then... um and this sort of defeats the purpose of the anonymous, but we celebrate St. Nicholas by offering anonymous generosity as a family. And the children get to choose what we do that year. And That's we awesome. have to do it um, for our neighbors, for a known need, um, anonymously. And they then become the givers and the generous ones. And so they emulate St. Nicholas instead of receive from Santa Claus. And I think that that just puts you in a different perspective about the season. Jordan? Yes.
0: You get the applause button for that. Woo! Uh, That was awesome. I love that. I love that. So, All right. Last rapid fire question. Mary, did you know?
2: Oh, gosh. It was on the radio on the way here. Yahweh or no way. No way. No way. (laughs) It was on on my drive here. It was...
1: I I I I, I don't really don't know the song very much. I just it's just not I'm not a, tuned it's in. It's a
2: dude standing up asking Mary if she understood yeah. who Jesus was. Uh-huh. Seemed, yeah. uh-huh. and the I answer is yes. She told I, us yeah. right. So I you mean, read the Magnificat. She is the first yeah. to to yeah. not just understand but to articulate. Yeah,
3: so I'm say no, like well, this <laughs> is a great ecumenical moment because I think we all agree, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, it, it flies in the face of the Magnificat, which is scripture. So yeah, any uh, any song that goes again, I mean, it but may it, be a good. I think, but
2: it you know. further diminishes her role, yeah, like making does, her just right, a virgin, right? right, right? Making yeah. the blessedness just about her yeah. sexual I mean, nature.
3: She's a passive vessel. For yes. Almost. And so
2: then yeah, she yeah, yeah. becomes right, the questioner yeah. or the, the questionee, do you know? And she's like, remember how I taught you that stuff? Yeah. So in that sense, I think it's unbiblical. Can I,
1: can I just uh, kind of throw another Bible nerd point? Mm-hmm. Like so the one of the scholarly – Possibilities for why Mary gets mentioned so much and not Joseph. Well, one of them is that maybe he died early and that's actually probably uh, that Joseph dies in an early childhood and that's why he's not mentioned later. But also because Mary's lineage is actually almost as significant as Joseph's. Obviously, Jesus inherits the lineage of David through mm-hmm. Joseph and that's critical for Jesus being born in Bethlehem, which we actually haven't, I don't know if we've said that yet, but Jesus was born in Bethlehem, David's hometown of the lineage of David. But other than that, Mary comes from a priestly family mm-hmm. because she's the... Cousin of Elizabeth and Luke is very specific to say that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth are Mm -hmm. both of a priestly family, and so for her to be from a priestly family is actually probably an elevated um, uh, a position and respectable sort of family line to be connected to um, in that time period, and so like her her family line, her her specialness is also. Included, Jesus comes from on 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 kind of this unique priest king thing that's right. going on uh-huh. there. Was, ah, there's some... She was
3: dedicated <laughs> to the <laughs> temple <laughs> <of> three, <laughs> two, according to the Proto Evangelion. I, I was uh-huh. not going to. So, I mean, in, in my tradition, the, we, we, even though it's not canonical, it's not part of the Bible, the, uh, we have an Ar- Armenian infancy gospel, which is very similar to the Proto-Evangelium of James, which tells the s- story that's left out of the gospel. <laughs> so even though it's not considered to be, uh, inspired, mm-hmm. it has informed our understanding of who Mary was. And so Mary was, you know, more than just a, as you <laughs> said, a, a, as Jordan said, uh, uh, this passive, uh, uh, woman who's just, you know, giving birth. She actually is uh, is holy and consecrated in the temple, too. Okay.
0: Well, let's uh, spend a little moment talking about each of our various uh, traditions that, that that we come from, and I want to kind of start off with the idea that lots of people listening to this, uh, all of us have some kind of liturgical tradition where we celebrate Advent and and the church calendar, but there are many Christians who don't, and you talked about how you're you growing up. Uh, my wife and I remember visiting a Baptist church. It was either the Sunday before or two Sundays before Christmas. And I was just shocked having grown up in a liturgical church all young that uh, other than one comment during the announcements about some kind of Christmas event, that that sermon, that worship service, the songs that were sung could have been done in July just as easily as December. There was just nothing uh, in that worship service to to indicate that, that Christmas was was – was here or, or, or anticipated, so, and that was just a uh, surprising to me. And having grown up liturgically, you know, a little bit, a little bit sad. So, but I can see where people who are non denominational or, or low church or Baptist, you know, would say, "None of this stuff is in the Bible. This is all just uh, makey uppy stuff from the from the from the from the, from the, from the, from the church." It doesn't seem biblical. It seems added on, man made. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, how would you all respond to that, or talk about how your traditions, uh, any any particular tradition that you think is very important for us in our Christian walk and our in our um, relationship to God? Just just uh, open it up to you all.
1: Uh, yeah I mean I think for me it's interesting because I can compare how I was raised with mm-hmm. how I raised my own kids and I mean, I think on the one side, not doing liturgical calendar gives you a kind of focus on the Holy Spirit, on the movement of God, the daily life and the in focus of the Lord and you don't get wrapped up in 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 things that are perhaps distracting from. God. I mean, it's possible so you can. So that would be how I thought about it growing up. That I wanted to focus on Jesus. What I I think, but I, it's going to be hard for me not to be opinionated about this. I mean, I, I want to. So I want to give full weight to that. But also, I I think looking back, I think that the w- there was a vacuum then, and that I was what was happening around Christmas was all commercial, mm-hmm. and there was no sanctification of mm-hmm. that. That's a good nature point. There was a vacuum. Yeah. Right. So that, that's because right. commercial is like, like this whole. Part about Santa Claus, um, so you you didn't you didn't see through the commercialism. You got caught up in it because there was nothing else to counter it. Whereas for me now, I teach Advent as a. My I think we we we're just not. We're not into it. Like we're watching – it's almost like walking through somebody else's party or something. You're watching – You know, there's, there's more things happening. We're still in Advent and the world is doing all these things. Um, so I kind of see – it helps me see through the, the consumerism of it and, and really focus on Jesus and giving and, and we, of course, giving to one another when the feast comes. But you just don't get caught up in it's, – it's so obvious that it's about money-making. It's just when you're in Advent, it just helps you see this is all. About money making, and and it's also not it doesn't help people grieve. So, um, uh, Episcopal uh, priest um, Fleming Rutledge just said recently, like if you don't have Advent, what do you? How do you know what to feel about Ukraine? How do you know what to feel about um, you know COVID? How do you know to, how to deal with suffering if you don't have a moment where you're come, Lord Jesus, preparing for the coming of Christ? If you and so I, I, I you know, we 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 knew to prepare for it with just you know pray, and receive the you know the holy spirit and keep going. <laughs> that's how I was raised. But to to really grieve was was something that we hadn't been trained to do and I so that's why I
3: Yeah, the notion pray, of you know, preparation so. I think is very important mm-hmm. um in the East Advent is uh, is fasting period it's it's the it's similar to Lent. It's funny uh, how we in a, in America we don't uh, we kind of took that
0: fasting part out of Advent. Uh,
3: yeah, I think, I think I think that's a problem. I mean, you know there's uh, it's great to have feasts but uh you can't feast all the time and mm-hmm. uh I think the, the the liturgical calendar reminds us of that that there are some times in which we are supposed to not to indulge, and then there are times when it's fine to indulge in uh, in in you know in food and other things too.
2: I think one thing that um, a more free church evangelical. Uh, speech and thought helps us think about is uh discipleship right this training in the christian life which we do appreciate and understand but there's a, a theologian like his name is gavin DaCosta, and he says that the liturgical year is is like he says being washed in the cyclical rhythms of sacred time And we do keep time. We keep time by hours. We keep time by weeks. We keep time by seasons. It's daylight savings. Everyone's upset about it. It's getting light early. We all keep time in terms of semesters and and breaks. And so there's a a way that the church sits as an alternative to the world's narrative about ourselves by keeping sacred time. And so seasons help you keep sacred time, help you learn to occupy space and time and a narrative in a different way so that – you become someone who thinks regularly about Jesus not just on christmas eve and christmas morning but someone who thinks all the way in in the time up to it it's a it's a kind of training in the way that even a Baptist girl um, like me would want to think about, there are tools that the church offers, uh, practices that the church offers that form us in thinking in these ways. So I think that that's something that any church Christian could appreciate uh, in terms of how we think about the Christian life as a kind of preparation. Great. That
0: sounds like a pretty good place for us to to wrap up. Um, But I do want to hear more about the Armenian Orthodox Church and, and why you all are helping. You already touched it a little bit, but just uh, yeah. go into greater detail. Yeah, you, you, you have more stuff for us to. to oh yeah, talk sure. About? Uh, yeah, so so.
3: Uh, I guess uh, to give like a, uh, a bigger picture here. I tell you uh, what,
0: let yeah. me say goodbye. Okay. Uh, if, uh, folks who don't want to get deep into into the weeds, yeah. and then uh, but we'll come back. But so we're going to wrap up here. But if you want a second helping and get really uh, as if we weren't already kind of pointy headed on uh, on some of these uh, topics, <laughs> uh, but we're going to go ahead and uh, stop now. But I want to thank you all for listening. And give us a shout if you have any suggestions. We're new to this and we're trying to, to improve all the time, so we really appreciate you listening. Uh, this has been Church Potluck. All right, well, we're back. That was a, a four-second break, something like that? You, yeah. you
3: rested and refreshed? Oh, I'm, I'm yeah, ready to go. All right, though.
0: all right. <laughs> well, give us... <laughs> Armenian Orthodoxy, it's not even yeah, Armenian well, Orthodoxy, yeah. right? Well, so,
3: Yeah, I mean um, that, that's part of the problem too because, I mean, we, you know, we, I, I've been talking about the East, Eastern Christianity, but uh, it's not monolithic. There's not one – just as in the West, there's uh, a, a lot of diversity among Christians uh, and different denominations. You have the same situation in the East as well, It's just that we're not – we tend not to be as focused on it here, um, you know, in other parts of the country where there aren't that many uh, Eastern Christians um but uh uh you know so i had mentioned that uh, the armenian church celebrates uh, christmas on january 6th and that's often uh confused with uh the fact that there are many eastern christians orthodox christians who follow the old calendar uh was called the julian calendar uh which is 13 days behind the uh, Gregorian calendar that's used in the West. Uh, And so you'll find the Russian Orthodox, there are other Orthodox who uh, will celebrate um, Christmas on our uh, calendars January 7th. Uh, but in fact, on their calendar, it's December twenty fifth. Okay. So, in that regard, most of the Orthodox who do, uh, and some of the Orthodox follow the uh, uh, the uh, Western calendar or the modern calendar. So they will celebrate. Most Greek Orthodox will celebrate on December twenty fifth. Uh, but uh, there are other more, I guess, more traditionalist Orthodox who will uh, follow the old calendar, and that ends up being on. January seventh, the Armenians have uh, are not celebrating January sixth due to using a different calendar. Because the Armenian Church actually uses the Western calendar, uh, <laughs> and we celebrate Easter with the West, not with the East. Which is another odd thing, too. The Armenian Church is like all over the place. It's uh, in some respects uh, we are more like the Western Church, and other respects we're more like the Eastern Church. It's a maverick. I like to think of ourselves as a microcosm of the Universal Church. There you, there you go. There uh, you go. So that, that, that's that's my that's my spin. <laughs> that's what I put on it. Who we'll also beat the Romans, uh, right? Yeah, who we'll also beat the Romans. Right. So <laughs> there's a lot going for us, you know. Uh, yeah. So so uh, the issue here is that. Uh, Uh, apparently if we go back to the history of the celebration of the feasts, there was no uniformity. So different cities would celebrate the nativity on different days. Um, and some parts of the church decided on December 25th, others did it on January 6th. Apparently the church in Jerusalem for a very long time, uh, for many centuries, celebrated Christmas on January 6th, and they also uh, observed the Epiphany on that day as well. Uh, But uh, most, uh, as Jerusalem changed and and conformed to the December 25th date, uh, most other Christians in the East moved with them. The Armenians did not get the message apparently. <laughs> they did not uh, get the telegram or whatever they had back then and they said, no, we're going to stick to January 6th and they have to this day. Uh, so it's become almost a point of pride that uh, we are the only church that celebrates this this uh, tradition that we, we – We think – I mean we say it's older. It's not exactly clear because uh, we don't know. We really don't know exactly who was celebrating what when and how December 25th got picked and how January 6th. Um, I recently translated – I I don't want to get into all the details because it's kind of complicated. But there's a 10th century Armenian theologian uh, who wrote a work explaining – why January 6th is the biblical date of Christmas. And let me see if I can kind of kind – of, it has to do with John the Baptist, right? So uh, uh, when uh, the Annunciation occurred, uh, when uh, – let's see, when was it? So, uh, so uh, Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth, the mother of John, um, had been uh, uh, pregnant for six months, I believe, right? And so therefore we can use that uh to calculate when Jesus was born. Uh, and the idea is that, okay, we know that Zechariah was the uh, chief priest, the high priest. He must have been in Jerusalem for the high holy days. And Elizabeth was not with him. So they could not have had relations. They couldn't have had relations until after he returned home from Jerusalem. (laughs) That's when, you know, he, uh, they conceive John and that is, has to be, it has to align. So John has to therefore be born on April 6th, it turns out using this calculation. Okay. Well, April 6th, then move forward to January 6th. That's when Christ was born there you go. There you now, go. <laughs> okay. So, so apparently, some he did this very complicated, and I don't think it's original to him. He's probably getting it from an earlier source. But that is the uh, uh, that is the explanation for January sixth, yeah. apparently. So, what was it like with you uh, when growing
0: up as a child? Did you live in, in an area where you were mostly surrounded by uh, fellow Armenians? Were you uh, surrounded by by? Uh, people who celebrated on the 25th, and what was it like having to wait 12 days for your celebration? Or did it, what was it like?
3: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because uh, so I, was, I grew up in northern New Jersey, just a suburban New York City, very large Armenian community. Uh, I mean, there weren't that many Armenians who were neighbors to us, right? So, but in, uh, you know, we would go to the Armenian church, and uh, so we were very much, um, uh, you know, involved in the Armenian community there. Uh, and so obviously having both, you know, non-Armenian neighbors and living in the American culture, December – we did celebrate December 25th. But what was interesting is that December 25th became more of a – you know, commercial, secular kind of yeah. thing. That's when we got our gifts. Uh, I keep trying to have a movement to
0: call December twenty fifth Gift Miss, and then move yeah. Christmas to a different day. But so far, that hasn't. That
3: and that's hasn't been proposed. We've
2: got uh, eleven more days. Yeah,
3: yeah. So uh, well, the idea is do it on January sixth. Right? There you go. Because we don't give gifts on that day. I mean, th- yeah. it's not a tradition. So, wait, wait, wait. No, no proselytizing. Oh, yeah, no, I, I don't mean to say that. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, you could if you wanted to. <laughs> I'm not. No pressure. <laughs> Move to January six. There is a tradition, you know, that goes back to ancient Jerusalem and Just all. Saying. Right, Saint Cyril of Jerusalem apparently yeah. celebrated on uh, on January 6th, so it's got it's got a good pedigree. Uh, but uh, yeah, so what happened is that, it, it, and I think actually you know, I I remember my grandfather saying this that uh, you know first of all we're blessed because we have two Christmases we can celebrate on December twenty fifth and on January six, but um, January six becomes uh, a much more religious, yes. non commercial, mm-hmm. non material, so the way Christmas should be. Um, so I guess that's the way we experienced it, right? We 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 celebrated on December 25th. We had a Christmas tree already up on, uh, before that. Uh, but then, when you're talking about the little liturgical uh, celebration, that that's on on January January 6th. So, so right.
2: the liturgical year also helps us think about holy days, days set aside for holy purposes. And so one of my, what well, does the church get right and wrong, but also when does culture kind of creep in, is around this word of holy days, because yes. from this we get holidays. And so the the sort of culture war about saying happy holidays is, is every bit as theological as saying Merry sure. Christmas because it is celebrating all the holy days. And if you look at this wider lens for the church, we have many holy days, even within Christianity, when people celebrate, set aside to celebrate this sacred um, recognition and receiving uh, of the child. And so – Happy holidays slash happy holidays is a beautiful greeting for all of us to practice. And so maybe don't worry so much about that.
0: That's sure. great. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good, good uh, conclusion. Another applause for Jordan.
2: What?
0: Yeah.
2: Well, happy so. holidays to you all then. Happy holidays.
0: <laughs> that's right. Happy holidays. Um, Thank you all very much. I uh, hope you all learned as much as I did. That was that was very interesting, and I, I, I enjoyed it. I hope you all did too. I did, didn't make a mention that you all are this is you're all first timers today, so mm. or virgins. So we're all,
3: <laughs> yeah, not only that, we're all from the Would same you? department too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah. So.
0: Uh, but anyway, uh, thank you all very much. That was that was very interesting and thank you to our listeners again and we will go ahead and sign out. Uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and I hope that you uh, come back and listen to our uh, next podcast as well. Where we'll be talking more about just Christmas and the in, in the culture at large. So this has been Church Potluck. Thank you. i tell you what, if you've listened this long, here's a little bonus.